This is episode number 167 with Cindy O'Meara. Welcome to the Melissa Ambrosini Show. I'm your host, Melissa, best-selling author of Mastering Your Mean Girl and Open Wide. And I'm here to remind you that love is sexy, healthy is liberating, and wealthy isn't a dirty word. Each week, I'll be getting up close and personal with thought leaders from around the globe, as well as your weekly dose of motivation so that you can create epic change in your own life and become the best version of yourself possible. Are you ready, beautiful? I just wanted to quickly remind you that if you haven't already, make sure you hit subscribe in your favorite podcast app. Mine is Himalaya. For those of you that have not heard of Himalaya, it's an epic brand new podcast app, which has so many awesome and unique features no other podcast app has, like episode and channel playlists. It's free, so easy to find new shows, and is really user-friendly. So head on over to the app or Google Play Store to download it today. Don't forget to follow me once you're done so that you can listen to my episodes one day earlier than they're usually released. Pretty cool, huh? Today's podcast is brought to you by Samina Sleep, which I'm so excited to tell you about. For those of you who've been a long-time listener to my show will know there's a common piece of advice with all the health and wellness experts I've had on, and that is they all highlight the importance of sleep. Getting our eight hours of deep, good quality Zs is so imperative for our body, mind, and spirit. We can all relate to that sluggish, groggy feeling after a bad night's sleep or not enough sleep. You just don't feel like the best version of you. And not only do we spend one third of our life in bed, this is where so much rejuvenation and magic happens. And a Samina sleep system can help make those eight hours even more deep rejuvenating, detoxifying, and healing. You see, our home, and especially our bedroom, should be a wellness sanctuary and as toxic-free as possible. And our beds can contain many toxins such as formaldehyde, synthetic non-breathable materials, and harmful chemicals such as flame retardants. Also, many memory foam mattresses often do not disclose their contents, but have been found to have VOCs, benzenes, and other potentially carcinogenic materials. Gross, huh? Now, the reason I know all of this is because if you follow me on Instagram, you will know that I've recently finished renovating our dream home, which we did as low tox as possible. The paints, the glues, the materials we used were all low tox. And we wanted to make sure that the place that we spend eight hours every single night was as toxic free as possible, which is why we got a Samina sleep system. And another thing I learned doing my research was that most traditional mattresses encourages trapping moisture from your sweat and drool to remain inside so dust mites colonize inside the mattress. That is so gross, huh? 
And also a lot of other beds and mattresses have metal springs and they'll put into the mattress and the bed frame. Now, this was before we had electricity running through the walls, Wi-Fi routers inside our homes and RF devices everywhere. And these metal springs in our mattress and in our bases act like little antennas, attracting that bad frequency to you, to your body, to your cells all night long. So we're basically sleeping on Wi-Fi magnets. Great, huh? So one of the other epic things about Samina is that there are no springs or no metal at all which means you are safe all night long and you're rejuvenating, you're healing, your detoxification can go even deeper. It's also an epic bed for couples because it has individual back support on each side. It's temperature regulated and it's not too soft. So if you want to take your healing and your sleep to the next level, head to melissaambrosini.com forward slash Samina S-A-M-I-N-A to get 10% off your Samina sleep system and enjoy, soak it up. It is so good. Cindy O'Meara is a nutritionist, filmmaker, best-selling author, international speaker, and founder of Changing Habits. Cindy graduated with a Bachelor of Science majoring in nutrition and has a special interest in ancestral foods. At the end of her degree, she was disillusioned by the nutritional guidelines that she paved her own path and stayed clear of the low-fat diets of the day and not without controversy. Her groundbreaking book, Changing Habits, Changing Lives, which came out in 1998, became an instant bestseller. And from there, she has grown a successful organic food company, certified online education program, along with releasing the acclaimed What's With Wheat documentary. Cindy is about educating. Her greatest love is to teach people in order for them to make better choices in their life so they too can enjoy greater health throughout their life journey. Her unique, surprisingly simple and down-to-earth approach challenges and encourages others to eliminate unhealthy habits and has inspired thousands to make smarter choices about the food they choose to put in their body. By educating people on how to read food labels, why diets don't work, and how drugs can affect your total well-being and vitality, Cindy confronts her audience with new truths and empowers them to make long-lasting changes with simple and achievable steps on how to create healthier habits. Cindy and I have been friends for many, many years, and I am so excited to share this episode with you today because we chat about her epic morning routine, her inspiring story to where she is today doing the amazing work that she now does, the inspiration behind her documentary, What's With Wheat, what is causing the rise of wheat intolerances and allergies, the herbicide you want to avoid at all costs that is causing massive health issues, the illnesses and diseases caused by wheat consumption, 
why we need to wake up today so we can make a difference, how to swap out wheat and why you must do it today, the truth about properly prepared sourdough and wheat for better digestion, how to make your own sourdough, why you need to go organic or grow your own food, how to detox chemicals such as Roundup from your body and why you must do this, plus so much more. This episode is jam-packed with some confronting information, but we all need to hear it. And for everything that Cindy and I mention in today's episode, you can check out in the show notes, and that is over at melissaambrosini.com forward slash 167. But before we dive into today's episode, I want to read the review of the week. And this week, it comes from Rihanna Springbet and is titled, Learning So Much Every Time I Listen. And she's given it a five-star review, which I'm so grateful for. And she says, I have been listening to Melissa's podcast for a long time now. While driving, I have eliminated mainstream radio and instead replaced with Melissa's podcast. It allows me to listen and learn whilst I drive. I have gained so much value from this podcast and will continue to listen for a long time to come. Thank you, Melissa, for all that you do. You are amazing. You are amazing. And thank you so much for that beautiful review. I'm so grateful. I absolutely love reading your reviews and hearing your thoughts. So if you want to be the review of the week for next week, head on over to iTunes and leave me your review right now. And without further ado, let's bring on the amazing Cindy O'Meara. Cindy, welcome to the show. It is so great to have you here. But before we dive in, can you please tell us what you had for breakfast this morning? I've been down to the beach. I've done my 1.6K swim. I sat and had a black coffee and I'm here with you now. So breakfast hasn't even started for me yet. But if if I was going to do a breakfast, I'll either do a keto coffee and a keto coffee includes coconut oil, butter, one cacao wafer and a bit of cinnamon. So I'd either do something like that or I might have cater, which is coconut, almond, date and apple and I'll mix that up in the Thermomix or I might do eggs. It just, it just depends what mood I'm in. Oh, I love it. That sounds so delicious and I have had the pleasure of eating in your home and everything that you cook is just so delicious and made with so much love and the ingredients are always of the best quality. So I'm so excited to have you and to dive deep into our conversation today. But I wanted to just touch on what you mentioned before, something that I love about you. I've known you for so many years now and I love that every single morning you get up, And you go and do that big swim and you're in the ocean every day, even in winter. So tell us about that for you, that ritual for you. Oh, you know, it's, I've probably been doing it five years now. Like I used to get up about 4.30, I'd meet my friends at quarter to five and I'd walk. And I did that along the beach for many, many years. And I used to watch this group of swimmers and I used to say, I'm going to join them one day, I'm going to join them one day. And then about five years ago, I kind of just showed up one day and and joined them and, and I've never looked back. I swim more than I walk. It's a great start to my day. 
I socialize, I exercise, I get the most amazing bathing in the ocean. I don't know. It, I just can't live without it now. It's one of those things that has become addictive. It's, it's a good thing to become addicted to. Yeah, absolutely. So I walk on the beach every morning and I look at the swimmers at Bondi Beach and I say the same thing. One day I'm going to do that. One day I'll get in there, but I'm <laughs> such a chicken with the ice cold water here. And they go so far out and I'm just like, oh, are there sharks out there? Like, <laughs> I'm not sure about that. Well, two people died from shark attacks this year. And imagine how many people are in the ocean. So the odds of you being eaten by a shark on Bondi Beach are very slim. Slim. So that's the way <laughs> I look at it. And I don't ever think of the sharks. I don't, I don't think of anything. And we've had shark sightings in the last week very close to our beach. But I, I kind of go, if that's the way I'm meant to go, that's the way I'm meant to go. But it's not going to stop me from doing my daily ritual that I love so much. And it, you know, it, it's, it's like when you, your fear overrules your life. And I'm not going to let fear overrule my life. And I guess that's why I just do it every single day. I do fear the waves more than I fear the sharks. So when the waves are huge, I will move further down the beach where I can get in easier. But for the most part, one of my friends said to me, he says, you know what I love about you, Cindy, even when you're scared of those waves, you still go in and do it. So, you know, you can't let fear get in the way of living your life and doing the best that you possibly can. Amen, sister. Amen. So for those that are listening that have never heard about you or your work, can you tell us about your story and how you got to where you are today doing the amazing work that you now do? Well, I was brought up in a very different family. My mother was from Iowa, USA. Her father was a corn farmer. But he, when the chemical revolution started in the 40s, he didn't agree with the DDT that was being sprayed and the arsenic and the lead. And he actually lost his farm because uh, there were a number of reasons why he lost it, but because he wouldn't go with the chemical farming. He was an organic farmer. And so my mother brought us up in that way. So I was brought up very, very differently. My dad was a pharmacist that didn't agree with the medications that were being dished out in the 50s and the 60s. So I was brought up with a father that didn't believe in medication. So I was never given any antibiotics, any painkillers, nothing while I was growing up. And a mother who believed in the organic movement, even when the organic movement wasn't happening. So education for me was in the health sciences. And I went to the University of Colorado in Boulder and had an amazing year there and studied anthropology. And it was that love of anthropology and what people ate in order to get to where we are today, you know, from the hunter-gatherer to the agriculturalist and the herder and all the different diets that were out there that I decided to be a dietitian. So I came back to Australia in 1980, I think I was back at university in 83, and did dietetics. And I finished my Bachelor of Science majoring in nutrition, about to go and do my Diploma of Dietetics, and I thought, this is BS. None of this has anything to do with our evolutionary eating. And so I just thought, I can't be a dietitian because I don't agree with low-fat margarine, breakfast cereals, low-fat milk. Oh, it was disgusting what we were being taught back in the 80s. And so I went back to university. I did two years of cutting up cadavers because I thought maybe there's something else that I'm not getting. 
And after I'd done six years of university, I went, I know exactly what the human body needs. And so I started practicing as a nutritionist and I taught real food. This was 80, I graduated by 87, 86, 87. So I was teaching real food back then saying, get off the breakfast cereals, start going back to butter, stop doing low fat, start eating fat, you know, sprout your sprout your foods it was it was interesting ferment your yogurts do your own don't get anybody else's so that's where it all kind of happened for me and then we came to the sunshine coast from melbourne and i started writing for the local paper i was very controversial and after 2 years once being sued by the margarine association paper was not me and then writing a, a, an article on artificial sweeteners the paper just kind of said, you know, you can't write this stuff, Cindy. And I went, you know what? If you're not willing to tell the truth, I'm not willing to write for you anymore. So from those articles, Changing Habits, Changing Lives, my book came out in 1998. And and now, you know, we're a, a major food company. We do programs and protocols. I have a documentary, What's With Wheat. I I have an education, pro, you know, like an RTO, a registered training organization, and it just built from demand. People would say, hey, Cindy, can you do this? Oh, okay, fine. You know, hey, Cindy, we need this. And so it was the demand of the people that were listening to me that we grew into, you know, a, a, a company that now employs 25 plus people. Wow. Your, your book, Changing Habits, Changing Lives, was one of the first books that I picked up eight years ago on my health journey. And I remember reading it and I was just like, I'm going to be friends with her one day. And we, <laughs> I just knew because you lived in the Sunshine Coast. I was like, I'm going to meet her one day and we're going to be friends. And here we are. So, oh, it's so amazing. All the work that you're doing, everything that you've achieved. Not only that, you have three healthy, beautiful children as well that you've brought up as well in that process of achieving all those things. But your latest baby, which is the documentary, What's With Wheat, has recently come out. So let's talk about this because there is so much confusion out there about wheat. Do I eat it? Do I not eat it? Do I go gluten-free? Do I not? Like for me, I've been gluten-free now for years and I've never felt better. And I look back on photos of me from, you know, before I went gluten-free and I have this inflammation and puffiness all over my body. And I used to wonder why that was the case. And I just accepted it as, you know, it's just part of going through your 20s and and hormonal changes and things like that. But I look back now and I just think, oh my gosh, I was so inflamed. Everything, even my hands were inflamed. So Can you tell us about your latest documentary, What's With Wheat, and where the inspiration for that came from? Yeah, I think I'll start with the inspiration because it it quite stunned me when I I figured this out. So I've always eaten well. As you, you know, you've heard my history. My mother was from an organic family. We ate everything from scratch, took no drugs. I was healthy. And I was heading towards 50. I was actually 50 and heading on from there. And I started to really get some aches and pains. So I had a a low back pain for about 18 months. My right hip when I got up was so painful that I thought, oh my goodness, does this mean I'm going to have to have hip replacement? What what is happening? I 
I didn't realize it at the time, but I did have a foggy brain. I had tightness in my throat. My skin was dry. My hair was dry. And for somebody who ate really well compared to the standard Australian diet, which we call the SAD diet, I wasn't doing well. And so I decided to do an elimination protocol. And what I did was I took everything out of my diet except for very small amounts of meat. So what I did was I went to the foods of the hunter-gatherer in the winter because I thought, let's go back to my traditional knowledge of anthropology, how the hunter-gatherer would have lived. They would have had probably some clean out. So I just kind of went there. So I ate very, very small pieces of meat that were very lean and I ate only green vegetables and winter fruits, but in small amounts, really, really small amounts. And in three weeks, I managed to lose nine kilos of weight. So in the first week, I lost four and a half kilos. So if you really look at that, that's no way I could lose that in fat. That had to be water weight. So I lost that much in inflammation. Then I started to lose the fat. And I, I reckon about day 10, I had unbelievable clarity of mind. I was in love with the planet in the world. It was like this awakening it happened. My brain clicked in. My body started to feel oh, stunning. It was it was like something had just changed overnight. So I continued the program for about three weeks and then I started to introduce foods into the diet. And on about day 10, I introduced wheat. And the next day I got on the scales, I'd gained 900 grams that's inflammation. That is not weight of fat. That was inflammation. My sore back came back. My brain became like sluggish. And I just started to think, well, what is wrong with wheat? How could wheat be an issue for me when I, it was organic? I was eating. I made my own breads. I did everything, you know, the right way. How could wheat be a problem? So I went on a bit of an, an you know, research binge, wondering what was happening. And I found a group of people talking about this. You've got to remember this was eight years ago at this point. So people were really, there were a few people really talking about it. And I, at the end of about two years, my husband said to me, are you going to write a book on it? Because you've learned so much. You've taken wheat out of all of our diet. You will, you won't eat, you know, we won't eat anything with wheat in it now. And I, I said to him, I just don't want to write a book. He says, why don't you do a documentary? And I went, that could be fun. <laughs> but I didn't know anything about it. So anyway, it was a, a huge learning curve. But the biggest learning curve of all was when I interviewed everybody. So what I did was on the Christmas of 2014, I, uh, I did a video and I sent it out to the people that I'd learned about wheat from. And I did it Christmas Eve because I kind of thought, eh, I'll be cheeky. I'll send it out Christmas Eve. In 24 hours, three key women that I wanted to interview, Natasha Campbell McBride, Dr. Terry Walls, and Vandina Shiva, all said yes. Like I get goosebumps about it now. So then I sent the email to the people that I still wanted in there saying, look, we have these people on board. And, you know, I got everybody bar one. There was only one person that said, I'm too busy. I can't do it. And that was William Davy who wrote the book Wheat Valley. So he was the only one that I really wanted that I didn't get. And I went and interviewed them. 
And I thought for the most part, I knew what each of them would say because I had read their work, listened to their podcasts, listened to, you know, interviews with them. I had done everything I could possibly do with them. And then I got to the beautiful Dr. Stephanie Seneff at MIT in Boston. And we had been interviewing nonstop throughout the US. And I got to her and we were all tied. There was four of us there. There was my beautiful assistant, Ruth, my producer and director, as well as our cameraman and audio. So the four of us were sitting there. We were pretty tired and we're listening to her and all of us have our jaws on the floor. We, I just went, the documentary's got to change. It can't go down the exact route that I thought it was going to go down because she just blew us out of the water about the practices of our agriculture and wheat and what she believed was causing the increase in gluten intolerance, the increase in the allergies and food sensitivities, the increase in folic acid deficiencies. She just, oh, just blew us out of the water. And so I came home from her, I had a few more interviews to do, and then, you know, we put this documentary together. And it's done really well. It's been on Netflix in America. On the first week, we had 50,000 people watch it. So, you know, it's, it's been a documentary that has woken people up to what is happening in our agricultural practices. Right. So what is causing the increase in intolerances and allergies? What is causing it? In the 1960s, there was a a new chemical that came on the market that chelated minerals out of the out of system so they would put this chemical into like a boiler and it would pull minerals out of the system and then they would get rid of the water out of that boiler and they noticed when they put it on green stuff it would kill the green stuff so they started to look into it and there was a company called Monsanto that bought the the patent for this new chemical called glyphosate and they realized that it was a brilliant herbicide and they showed how the how this herbicide worked and it only worked on plants and bacteria and fungi and it, it was called the shikimate pathway and the shikimate pathway actually worked on the destruction of aromatic amino acids folic acid and enterobactin which is an iron carrier so it would kill this in the plant and the plant would die as a result of it And they said it's safe because it doesn't affect human cells. So it became a herbicide that our, you know, just people would use. So Roundup is the name of, is the trade name of the active ingredient of glyphosate. Plus it has some other agents as well. So it became what gardeners would use, you know, home gardeners. My uncle used it in his veggie garden. So it became that. And then it started to be used in agriculture in preceding. And then by the 90s, it was genetically modified foods became Roundup ready, which means that you could spray as much Roundup on the plant, but it wouldn't destroy the plant. It would only destroy the weeds. So we had Roundup ready soya, we got Roundup ready canola, and all of these things started to be sprayed with more and more Roundup. So that was 1995, 96. And then Monsanto said that it's a great desiccator. Desiccating means it dries out a field before harvest. So it became the pre-harvest desiccator for sorghum, canola, cotton, 
anything that wasn't genetically modified, wheat, oats, rye, chickpeas, black beans, you name it, they started to spray Roundup around the year 2000 on all of these foods. And if you really look back at the research and look at back at the association studies, and then now we understand the, the science behind it, you will see that as this started to occur and more and more glyphosate and Roundup started to get into the food supply and more and more people started to eat it, we started to see the destruction of the microbiome. We started to see Parkinson's increase, neurological disorders increase. We started to see gut disorders, IBS, celiac disease, non-celiac gluten sensitivity. And it was around that time, if I look back at it, that I started to see my health start to go down as well. And I'm someone who really looks after themselves with food. I may not always have been organic back in the year 2000, but I did the best that I could. But we're even starting to see foods that are organic have glyphosate and Roundup in it because of the pervasiveness of this chemical. It's water-soluble, it's in the rain, it destroys the soil ecology, it destroys the ecology of our microbiome. So it was, you know, Stephanie Seneff that, you know, I'll never forget, I'm interviewing Stephanie Seneff and she keeps going, the shikamate, the shikamate, the shikamate. And I'm like going, what's the shikamate pathway? You know, what is this? You know, she just, she was incredible, absolutely incredible in her knowledge of it. So I had to come home and I had to research and really understand what she had said before I could then put it in the documentary. And so that is what I believe is the key problem we are now seeing amongst our babies all the way to our elderly. So in our babies, we're starting to see hyperactivity, neurological disorders, autism increasing, Asperger's or on the spectrum. In our young kids, we're starting to see depression and anxiety, and I'll explain why this is happening. In our teenagers, we're seeing more and more anxiety and depression through to our adults, and we're seeing Alzheimer's and dementias in our older people, and they're not that old. We're seeing autoimmune diseases, heart disease, cancer, diabetes. These are all increasing at a phenomenal rate. And when you look at the neurological damage that Roundup and glyphosate is doing, especially with the making of our aromatic amino acids, so our aromatic amino acids are the precursors to our neurotransmitters, serotonin, dopamine, noradrenaline, And when you do not have precursors and they are being blocked, you cannot make these neurotransmitters. Therefore, you are lacking in them and you can't think straight. Your body doesn't work right. You'll start to get Parkinson's or, you know, multiple sclerosis or all of these things will happen. Do I believe it's the one and only thing that's causing this? No, but I think it's a really good We're destroying the soil. We're destroying the nutrition of the food. We're destroying the soil of our gut microbes. You know, that's what we're destroying. And as we do that, and then more stress and more chemicals and more pressures are put on us, then that in turn causes knock-on effect where we're starting to see this build-up in disease rates. And, And I don't think anybody can deny that this is happening. And especially my age group that were brought up in the 60s and 70s. There was no one 
in those days that you knew of with celiac disease or, you know, all of these issues that are happening at the moment. There were, this just wasn't happening. I know. It's, it's freaky, isn't it? Look, it is. And I think people have to wake up because our councils are spraying it. Our main roads are spraying it. Our, our agricultural people are spraying it. Our home gardeners are spraying it. It's, it's something that in the last decade has increased a phenomenal amount. They say that since it started in 1974 to 10 years ago, in the last 10 years, we have sprayed just as much in the last 10 years as we sprayed from 1974 to, you know, 2010. That's that's the amount that we're spraying because we're told it's safe and it's far from safe. And and if people, you know, I, I listen to you, Melissa, I, you know, I listen to your podcast and I've heard other people talking about this and thank goodness that it's the people are waking up. The Sunshine Coast Council, I've been on to them for three years to stop spraying it on our verges, on our dog parks, on our playgrounds, on our parks, our gardens, our, you know, everywhere they're spraying it. I've been on to them for three years and I actually, I wrote a legal letter to them saying that you have all the information, you have all the knowledge, you know what is happening and I have given this to my solicitor because you now cannot tell me that you don't know anymore the dangers of this chemical. And I got a le- I got a, a, a letter from them in April this year. They said that there'd be a 10-year phase-out. And about a month ago or six weeks ago, I got a phone call and they said they were phasing it out ASAP and they were looking at new ways of what we can use and they're trialling things at the moment. So, oh. you know... Cool. <laughs> That's really, really great. Surely there are natural things that they can use to get rid of the weeds, you know? Surely there's there's non-toxic things that aren't going to harm us that they can use. You know, you just made me think, like, there's so many times. Like, I went and had my lunch in Centennial Park the other day, and I take my shoes off and I walk around on the grass because I love earthing. I love getting my feet in the dirt, in the sand, in the grass. And you just made me think like, I'm probably walking on Roundup. Like, I don't even know. I'm probably laying on it. I probably go to the parks and it's sprayed everywhere. So, and and for mothers with their children, like they go to the park almost every day and you could potentially be allowing your children just to be breathing this in and getting this on their skin. I remember as a child, I would go to the park and I would be rolling around on the grass and I'd have full allergic reactions to the grass. And my mum used to just say, oh, you're allergic to the grass. And I'm like, now I'm thinking back, I'm like, I doubt I was allergic to the grass. It was probably these highly toxic chemicals that they just spray everywhere. But we have to be mindful of it and take action like you are and, and be a voice. And that's something that I really love about you, Cindy, is that you're not afraid to be a voice and say, this isn't okay. And if we don't start to use our voice, no one else will. So I love that you are taking action and that you are really, you know, making a difference. But for somebody listening who is thinking, there's absolutely no way I can cut out wheat. No way. No, I love my bread. I love my pasta. I love my burgers. What do you say to that person? Oh, I was that person. 
when I realized that wheat was the issue, I was that person. I was that person who said, but I love bread. You know, I love, I love making bread. I love croissants. I love, you know, and, and I went to the organic baker and I would buy organic croissants with the butter and, you know, he did it beautifully. He's just down the road from me and he made organic breads for me, you know, everything. And I was that person, but I had to go, well, when I stopped eating wheat, I stopped putting weight on, I stopped being inflamed. I stopped having a sore back. I stopped having a sore hip. My brain cleared up. I had more energy. I slept brilliantly and I kind of went, okay, which do I want to choose? Do I want to choose to enjoy the bread and the croissants for that fleeting moment and live with pain and weight and not energy and my skin being dry and my hair being dry? Like I could never grow my hair. And since taking wheat out of the diet, I have the longest hair I've ever had. I don't have to put moisturizer on my skin anymore. I haven't had to improve. I don't read, use glasses anymore to read small print and I'm 58. So, you know, it's like this whole life came to me and I thought I was doing pretty good. And when I took it away, it was, it was like a light bulb went on in my life. And, uh, you know, you've got to choose. Do you want to eat that? and feel like crap? Or do you want to stop eating it and feel the most magnificent you've ever felt? You know, I have people, I went on a walk just last week. I I did the three capes down in Tasmania. And one of the girls was really struggling. And I said, oh, I'll take your pack. So I had a 10 kilo or 12 kilo pack on my back and I had a 12 kilo pack on my front. And I walked up this hill and, and somebody just said to me, how the hell do you do that, Cindy? And I just went, because I'm the healthiest I've been. You know, I feel feel, ama- I feel amazing. What, my sister-in-law said to me, you're a gazelle, Cindy. You just fly. <laughs> <laughs> so you choose. You choose if you want to keep eating that bread. Like I love, I loved bread. I absolutely loved it. But I just went, I love my life better. I love my health better. And I made that choice. And I know people will not make that choice. Yeah. I, I know people won't do that. And it's one of those things as well. That's the same for me. It's like I cut it out of my life and the energy and the vitality mm. and the clarity that I felt was just so much more charming than the sluggishness and the drowsiness that I felt when I was eating it that I was like, well, I'm not going to go do that. But some people are so numb to the way that they feel. They think that that is normal. They don't realize that they can have the energy and the vitality and the clarity that is available to all of us. And I want to really encourage everybody listening to really tune in. And if you do have any of those little niggles that Cindy mentioned, you know, the lower back or the foggy brain or the inflammation, like sore knee, sore knee, like that's not part of being human. Like we're meant to be gazelles, you know, we're meant to be vital and healthy. So really start to think about it. But I'd love your thoughts on what about properly prepared, you know, sourdough fermented products like that? What do you think about that? Or do you think just avoid it at all costs? Okay. That's a really good question because we address that in the film, What's With Wheat. And if you look at modern wheat, so we address what's happened to our wheat. 
So there's a difference between between modern wheat and our ancient wheat. So the very first wheat, and we know it was the first wheat or grass that we found, was probably about 23,000 years ago, and it's called einkorn, E-I-N-K-O-R-N. So it's that is your traditional wheat. It, it only has one set of chromosomes, basically, so they call it a mono. The next is dye, which is a emmer wheat, E-M-M-E-R. So at Changing Habits in our marketplace, we actually sell emmer wheat, organic emmer wheat that's grown here in Australia by a man that wanted to bring traditional wheats back. So then emmer wheat. Then the next one was kamut. And we know this by the diploids. That's it, monoploid diploids. So we know this by how what that's like. They know it by the chromosomes. So that was the kamut. And then, or courtesan, which it could have been called, then the next one is is basically spelt. That's about 5,000 years old. And then from spelt, we have triticum estivum. Triticum estivum is, has been manipulated by man as a hybrid. It's not genetically modified. It's a hybrid. And this is where we seem to see the problems happen because this was about the 1970s, 1980s, when this wheat was manipulated and hybridized by a guy by the name of Borlog. So in my way of thinking, I'm not touching triticum estivum and any of its subsidiaries. And that what is, is what is grown in Australia. And that's what you buy in the supermarket. Can you go to spelt? Yes, spelt is a good one, but a lot of it is contaminated. So you have to be very careful of it. So we go to emma wheat, which is around 17,000 years old. If you traditionally ferment this with sourdoughs, then the likelihood of you having problems is far less than if you don't, you know, and you just do it making pastas and things like that. But the the problem is that we have destroyed the microbiome. And if you do not have a proper microbiome, then you can't digest foods. And this is when gluten becomes a problem or gliadin becomes a problem. And the destruction of the microbiome is because we, number one, actually I wouldn't call it number one, but it's been a slow degradation of the microbiome since the beginning of antibiotics and processed foods. But the real destruction of the microbiome has been since we started to use Roundup. So in 2010, glyphosate or Roundup, or gly- it is glyphosate, but it, you know the trade name is, gly- is, is Roundup, Glyphosate was patented by Monsanto as an antibiotic, a biocide. So they know that it is a biocide and antibiotic. So if it's sprayed on our foods, it's sprayed around us, we're in contact with it. We have slowly since 20, well, really since 1995, 96, when it really started to be used on genetically modified foods, we have slowly eroded our microbiome. More and more kids have gut issues, allergies, food sensitivities. And then with all of those problems, and we know that there's a gut-brain axis, we then start to have autism, Asperger's, hyperactivity, dyslexia, and all of these things start to occur in the brain, depression, anxiety. You know, this is what we're seeing the increase in. So if you are going to want to try this, then do it yourself. Making a sourdough is not hard. You know, buy some emma wheat from me, make a water and emma wheat slurry, 10 days out on your, you know, out on your bench with a cloth over it, keep feeding it water and wheat and it bubbles and there's your sourdough. And then you just 
add some oil and some salt and some, and make sure it's a good quality oil that hasn't been sprayed with glyphosate. <laughs> this is the issue, you know, we just, you have to go organic. I'm sorry, there's no other way these days, is it? You either have to grow your own or you have to go organic. And then you, you, you know, you let it rise for a couple of days and then you throw it in the oven. And that was the traditional way of making bread. We didn't have an hour process and then in the oven and you get to eat it with a slab of, in these days, margarine. You did it very differently and we have to go back to our traditional ways. Mm, I absolutely agree. So much amazing information, Cindy, and I'm so glad that we're getting it out to my tribe. I really want to encourage everybody to just start to look at all of their products that they're eating, they're consuming. Like, And then also be mindful when you go out. Mm-hmm. You know, there's wheat hidden in everything, even in soy sauces and all of these different things. So don't be afraid. I've said this so many times on my podcast to use your voice and ask and say, hey, does this have any wheat in it? And use your voice because it's your temple. It's your body. And you only get one of them and you want it to thrive and you want to be here healthy and strong and vital for as long as you can because it's pretty fun here on earth. Mm. So we may as well make sure that we're giving it the best quality that we possibly can find. Yeah, I look, I, I agree with you entirely. And then look at ways in which you can, you know, stop glyphosate doing what it does in your body. You know, what are the the things that you need to do? Number one, you know, consume organic foods. And there's a, a doctor in America, his name is Dr. Zach Bush, and he's done some research in how do we get rid of glyphosate out of the body so it cannot do what it does. So one of the things that glyphosate does is it opens the epithelial lining of the gut, allowing proteins and all other things like that to get into our system, which causes these allergies. It also opens up the blood-brain barrier, allowing heavy metals and allowing other proteins into the brain that should not be there. So he's been doing this research as to what will stop this happening. And he has found that humic and fulvic acids, which are ancient vegetation from thousands and thousands of years ago that is under the ground, has this carbon redox molecule that helps the microbiome in the gut communicate with our energy systems in our cells, which is the mitochondria. It also helps close the blood-brain barrier. It helps close the gut lining. And there's a, there's a, a product that he has that he uses in the US, but in Australia, I didn't know this at the time, but I'm listening to him doing his research and I'm reading his research and I'm, I'm doing, you know, and I'm going, he's talking about my colloidal minerals. So for years, I have had organic colloidal minerals and they come from peat. They're from humic and fulvic acid and they have the carbon redox molecule that he's talking about. And so I, to me, because we're exposed to glyphosate, to me, my organic colloidal minerals is something that I take every day because of Zach Bush's research. Mm. I always took it every day because it's it's a mineral deposit. So it's a sterile mineral deposit because the bacteria that broke it down thousands and thousands of years ago left their communication system there, but they went on to break down more. So ours is mined here in Australia. It's called it's from peat. And um, it's from a source that is higher in fulvic than humic. 
acids and it is very high in minerals. We've had it analyzed. And that to me is my protection against any glyphosate that I come into contact with, whether I'm eating out, whether they're spraying it. Like I was in Hobart a week ago and I was, I had hiked the three capes. I was with my daughters. We were walking through Davidson Park in Hobart and I saw this guy spraying. My girls watched him longer than I did and we were about to walk down a path and my girls stopped me and they said, mom, that guy has just sprayed the edges of the park. And I went, right, we're getting out of this park. We're going elsewhere. And because I didn't know what he was spraying, there was no sign up. Kids were going to go through there. Mothers were going to go through there. Pregnant women were going to go through there. There was no sign up to tell me what he was spraying. So I got home, I rang the council and I said, could you tell me what you're spraying? And it took a while, but I got to the point where they were spraying dicamba. So dicamba also works on the chemistry of the plant like glyphosate works on the chemistry of the plant through the shikimate pathway, dicamba does too. And dicamba is an old chemical that they used to use, but they stopped using it because of issues they had with it. So it it can disrupt hormones and it is something that they're starting to use on like Roundup Ready corn and things like that. Roundup isn't working anymore. So now they've got dicamba in and they're using dicamba ready corn, dicamba ready wheat, dicamba, not wheat, soya or canola or whatever. And they're all going to also going to start using 2,4-D. So this is the, the craziness of our agricultural system that they think it's okay to spray these chemicals on food that is used for all of us, it's in, in all of our foods in, in the supermarket. They think it's okay. They think it's okay for them to spray on parks where kids roll. So they're using dicamba, which to me is just as bad as glyphosate and mm. just as bad as 2,4-D, which is the, the sister to Agent Orange. It's oh just like I just, I went right off at them. I just said, you need to have a sign up because for people who are educated, they don't want to work through dicamba. They don't want to walk through glyphosate. They don't want to walk through any of your chemicals. You know, you need to warn the public. Yeah. So oh, it is not okay. It's not okay. And mm, no. thank you. Thank you for um, calling up. And, and, you know, it's just so, it's so sad, you know, and, and we're putting, we're going out to dinners and lunches. And if we're not eating at organic restaurants and cafes, then you're pretty much eating glyphosate and Roundup. So you, you're ordering your nice salad and fish with a side of Roundup. So awesome. Really great, isn't it? Yeah. And then you destroy the microbiome. And then, by the way, the salads, wait for this one. So oh, you know all those beautiful packaged salads that you see and they're so easy and you don't have to wash them? Well, what they're doing because of all the listeria scares, I don't know if you're seeing what's happening in the US at the moment, but all Cos or Romani, one of the lettuces, they're recalling. They're saying, throw it out, don't eat it because there's listeria in it. Oh my gosh. Now, listeria is one of the things that Roundup doesn't kill, one of the bacteria that Roundup doesn't kill. So listeria is taking over and, and it's becoming a real problem. Uh, and there's a couple of other bacteria that are becoming a problem in food supplies as well. So the security of our food supply is really not good at the moment because of the knock-on effect of listeria become is uh, what's the word is resistant to glyphosate so 
what they're doing now with our lettuces it, because of this is they're sanitizing them and they sanitize them with something called nature seal and nature seal when you look up the patent on it is a bunch of minerals that I don't want in my food they say it's a bunch of vitamins and minerals but there's a lot more in it than that when you look at the patent on it so it sanitizes your lettuce it sanitizes your spinach it sanitizes all your greens when you pick lettuce you have soil bacteria on there. That soil bacteria actually helps you as a human digest the lettuce, digest the spinach, the kale, whatever it is. Once that's sanitized, you will start having problems with lettuce and spinach. And, and people are saying this to me. I, I, I don't know what's wrong. I'm having trouble with lettuce. It's because they've sanitized it. There's no soil bacteria on there anymore. And for good reason, because of the listeria. So there's not, you know, that's not on there anymore. And then you can't digest it. So this is why I love my farmer's markets. This is why I have a farm. This is why I grow my own food. And people listening to this are going to be throwing their hands up in horror and just going, oh, this is too hard. I can't do this. But if we don't make a stand and as individuals start to demand that we have organic foods, that we go to our farmer's markets, that we stop giving our money to these big multinational supermarket chains, then they will continue to do it. And I, as an individual, I grow my own food. I sequester carbon from the atmosphere. So I'm helping with climate change. Everything is done on my farm holistically. And I feel like as an individual, I am powerful. Mm. And as a group of individuals, we are unstoppable. But it's about time that we stop complaining about the fact that, like I had a complaint from a, a woman about an article I wrote about the new celiac vaccine that's coming out. What? I don't know. What is this? I don't know anything about it. There's a celiac vaccine that's gone through preliminary research and now they're doing human research and they're asking for people to, you know, to be in the trial. And so I wrote a, an article about it just saying, hey, you just have to give up wheat. Yeah. You know, it's not that big a deal. And, you know, maybe I was flippant. And this woman whose child at three years of age was just diagnosed as a celiac said I was ignorant and, and basically went right off at me and that she was going to give, when it was available, that she would do this for her three-year-old. And I said, I, do, I got really upset and I went, you don't see the big picture. The celiac is increasing and the non-celiac is increasing because of our agricultural practices. So you're going to give a vaccine to your child that will stop them having celiac disease just so you can go and eat McDonald's and Kentucky Fried Chicken and socialise and eat whatever you want. That's, you know, that is not, that's not where we should be. We should be saying, hey, you know what? I can do this. I can make a healthy diet for my child. He doesn't have to eat wheat. Wheat isn't important. Like I, I've just been to Namibia where they don't have wheat. They, they eat dairy because they live in a desert and they eat, you know, collected foods. They're, they're hunting. Well, they're, they're nomadic hunter-gatherers, but they're also herders. So they, they have animals that they get their dairy from. They'll do an occasional kill of an animal. They'll hunt an animal and they'll gather food. They don't have any wheat they, and they live well. They've got no problems. And I just think sometimes, and I know, Melissa, your audience will be well-educated and really open to this, but we have to make a stand as individuals that we are not going to 
continue to support multinational companies that don't care about our food or our health. They just care about themselves and their shareholders and the money that they're making. And if we make a stand, they have to change and they will change. Mm. We're already, we've already started to see that change. Look at the amount of gluten-free foods out there. Mm. Not that I agree with most of them, but you know, they've had to come there, but they've come there in their own way. And and even all of the farmers markets that are opening up all around yes. different areas and even the gluten-free options, like you said, in different restaurants and cafes, like, you know, they're offering so much more. So they are waking up. But like I said before, we have to continue to use our voice because we matter. And this is our life and our health and our children and our children's children's you know, life that we, we've got to think about here. So I'm so grateful for all the work that you're doing and for being such a trailblazer and just going out there. But I would love to turn the spotlight on you a little bit more now here. And I'd love to know if you had a magic wand and you could put one book in the school curriculum of every single high school around the world, besides your book, which absolutely, <laughs> no joke, every Everyone listening needs to read that and we'll link to it in the show notes. What is one book that you would choose? Oh, gosh, that's a scary, scary question. And you know <laughs> why? Is because that books are our education. Books are what make us change. But if I was to put one book out there that's not mine or yours, it would be Dark Emu by Bruce, Bruce Pascoe. Mm, I've never heard of it. And we'll link to it in the show notes, but what's it about? Yeah. Well, it's about the lies that we've been told about the Australian Aboriginal people and their and their culture and their way of eating. And that they were agriculturalists as well as nomadic hunter-gatherers. You know, they were an amazing race. And when you read it, you begin to realize that you know, grain has been eaten for 65,000 years here in Australia. They are not gluten grains like wheat, but they did have a, a, a wheat, uh, sorry, an oat, a rice. They also had a kangaroo grass and they would make breads. So to me, you know, we always talk about the Northern Hemisphere, that grain was introduced 10,000 years ago and the whole paleo thing came about because, you know, we didn't genetically change for this. But when you look at the Australian Aboriginal people and their variety of food and what they did and how they prepared things, so there's there's nadu. Nadu is poison if you eat it raw, but prepared properly. So nadu is an Australian plant, but prepared properly, it's nutritious. And I think it brings us back to our old ways of how we grew food, how we prepared it, the importance of preparation. And the lies, as white people, we've been told in Australia and no doubt in America about the American Indians, it doesn't matter where, that we have been lied to about traditional ways of living. And I felt Dark Emu was, I, I, I read it and I was angry. I was angry that I was lied to at school and learned about Australian history. So that would be one of the ones. And the other one would be Mutant Messages Down Under. And that is also about the Australian Aboriginal culture. And I just think we are, the Australian Aboriginals are the oldest culture on earth. And if we could just learn something from them and how they did things, 
in healing, in diet, in manifesting, in love, in groups, in relationships, in, oh my gosh, um, telepathic, you know, speaking, they were masters. And so they would be, I, I, I can't separate those two books, but anyway, they would be my books. Awesome. And we'll link to those in the show notes for anyone who wants to get their hands on them. But let's talk about how your day looks. I love hearing about people's morning routines, which you shared a little bit at the start of this podcast. But can you talk to us about, you know, how your day unfolds? And, and I know there's no two days that are ever the same, but, you know, run us through a day in your life. Okay. So my first thing is I meditate. So I get up early enough and I usually do the morning meditation by Joe Dispenza. It just, it, I just love it. I just, there's something that I'm addicted to about that. So I'll sit up and I'll, I'll do that. And then I'll get up and put my togs on, go to the beach, swim with the Lullabar Beach Farms, have a, a coffee. So it's my social time. If my daughter's with me, we will do the crossword and we'll do the Australian crossword. That's the only thing we ever read in the Australian is the crossword. So we'll do the crossword. We'll come home. We'll all make breakfast together. Sometimes, like I said, it's a, you know, a keto coffee. It's this many breakfast that we have. Then I prep my lunch and I go to work. And it depends. Sometimes I'm traveling, so I can't quite do it that way. But usually that is my routine. And then, and then I'll go to work and I'll, I'll see my team. And I love writing, so I'll write an article. And then my lunch, I really don't stop for lunch because I'm not hungry usually. I, 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 I am um, a burner of fat. So if there's no sugar in my system, my body will just burn fat and keep me full. And so dinner is usually, we come home and we prep dinner and it's usually meat and vegetables, meat and salad. My husband's a meat eater. I've become a meat eater after 16 years of vegetarianism but that was in my early days. So we'll do that. We usually have beautiful music on. The TV is something of the past. If my husband wants to watch TV, I've got him these little things that he puts on his ears so I can't hear it. <laughs> um, I'm in bed early. I try and do a meditation at night, but I'm, I'm one of those people that, you know, I zonk and I'm out to it. But I do try and do a meditation at night and it's usually an om. So it's a vibrational meditation rather than a speaking meditation or a guided meditation. It's an OM meditation. And that's my day. Beautiful. Yeah. Beautiful. Unless I go to the farm. I have a day at the farm once a week and then, I don't know, I play. <laughs> I pick my vegetables. I don't know. <laughs> Just play on the farm. I don't work. <laughs> oh, so beautiful. So beautiful. Yeah. All right. What is three things you're most recently grateful for? Well, every day I write in my gratitude journal and I haven't done it this morning, but three things I'm grateful for. My family, every day I'm grateful for my family. Where I live is probably the most beautiful place on earth and I travel a lot and I, I always come home, I fly into that Sunshine Coast and go, oh, I'm home. And changing habits. I think I have an amazing team and that enca encapsulates our marketplace, our education, the documentary, and my farm. I think I'm very grateful for that. I, I'm blown away that that's what I have to play with every single day of my life. So yeah, they're my three great gratitudes for. Beautiful. All right, I've got three little rapid fire questions. Are you ready? Ready. 
What is one thing that we can do today for our health? Go organic. Mm -hmm. Get back into the kitchen to feed and nourish your family to heal this nation. Mm, Beautiful. What is one thing we can do for our wealth? So more abundance in all areas of our life. Gratitude. Be grateful for what you've got and watch the world open. And I'm very much a manifester. So stop complaining, start being grateful and know what you want and put it out to the universe. And when I started doing that, I went from a book to a cookbook by myself doing changing habits to where I am today. And I'm eternally grateful for meeting Michelle Nielsen and reading her book, Manifesting Matisse. So yeah, that was a pretty profound book that I read that changed my life. Beautiful. And we can link to that one in the show notes as well for anyone who wants to read that. Okay. And last one, what is one thing that we can do for more love in our life? I think when you self-care and self-love, and I love Kim Morrison's self-care and self-love circle, you know, being aware of what you're saying to yourself, being aware of what you're consuming and what you're doing and how you treat yourself. When you just beam that love for yourself, and this is not a conceited love, this is you truly love every minute of what you're doing, then people are just attracted to you. And whether that love is from friends or animals or children or husbands or a new love in your life, people are just they want to be with you. They want to be around you. So I guess, you know, that self-love circle, get in it and, and start working on it. Yeah, it's so important. It's so important. It's the foundation for everything. So, Cindy, this has been amazing. I love and adore you so much. Is there anything else that you want to share, anything that you wished I had have asked you about, any last parting words of wisdom? You're a pretty good interviewer and I think you got the best out of of me. And you know I can talk for five days. I do five-day conferences. (laughs) So I think you've done an amazing job and I, I guess my biggest thing of wisdom is listen to Melissa. She, you know, your podcasts are truly inspirational, educational, and we just need to act on our information that we learn and our world will change. Mm, absolutely. Listening and reading the books and listening mm-hmm. to the podcast is amazing, but it's about taking that inspired action and implementing what we are learning because that's when we have the transformation. Definitely. But the the last thing I wanted to ask you was, I'm a massive believer in service and being of service to others. So I want to know what I can do and the listeners can do to serve you today. How can we serve you? Well, I think it's listen to this information, gather more information and act on it. Don't make this something that you've listened to and you don't do anything with. So the service would be of service to yourself, that you actually put this into action, that you become more educated because if, you know, if we make the changes as individuals, because guess what? You can't change anybody else but yourself. You can't change your husband, your kids, you, you know, your girlfriend, your boyfriend, whatever, you cannot change them. The only person that you can change is yourself. Then by example, 
you may be able to influence your family and friends and with their love and support, a community, a country, and hopefully the planet. So if you want to be of service to me, act on this information and let's change this collectively as individuals. Mm, I love that. And please share this episode with everyone you know. That's how we're going to get this information and taking inspired action, like Cindy said. So thank you so much, beautiful lady, for giving us your time and your wisdom and your knowledge. I absolutely love listening to you. I could just sit and listen to you for hours. You're so well-researched and just so full of knowledge and wisdom, and I love and adore you so much. So thank you for being here, and thank you for all the work that you do in the world and for being such a trailblazer. Thank you, and right back at you, Melissa. You're the same. It's wonderful when you see things in other people because you're actually seeing yourself in them. So well done. Wow, I got so much out of today's episode. And if you did too, please subscribe and leave me a review in iTunes or on your podcast app, because that means that we can inspire and educate even more people together. We all need to work together. And don't forget to tell me on social media, either on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook, who you would like me to have on the show. And for everything that Cindy and I mention in today's episode, you can check out in the show notes. And that is over at melissaambrosini.com forward slash 167. And you can also listen to all my other episodes there too. Another thing I wanted to mention before I go is that if you haven't got my latest book, Open Wide, A Radically Real Guide to Deep Love, Rocking Relationships and Soulful Sex, all you have to do is head to melissaambrosini.com forward slash open wide to get your copy now. And whilst you're there, you get access to my free open wide video masterclass that Nick and I created just for you. And make sure if you want to be the review of the week for next week, you head on over to iTunes and leave your review right now. Before I go, I just wanted to say thank you so much for being here for wanting to be the healthiest and the happiest version of yourself and for showing up today for you. You rock. Now, if there's someone in your life that you can think of that would really benefit from this episode, please share it with them right now. Take a screenshot, share it on your social media, email it to them, text it to them. Just do whatever you've got to do to get this in their ears. And until next time, don't forget that love is sexy, healthy is liberating, and wealthy isn't a dirty word.